If you're not already standing, would you please stand for the reading of today's scripture? Selected really 10 days ago and reiterated early in the week. And proven to be the right passage even these past few days. Reading from the Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, the sixth chapter. Hear these words. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. And thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a person sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of the faith. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the new Israel of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Please be seated. Gracious Creator, we ask this morning that we might each hear what we need to hear from you. That we might each feel what you would have us feel this morning. That each of us might contemplate life here on this earth continually in the perspective of life eternal. 
and therein find some sense of hope and comfort for the pain in our souls. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. This passage of scripture that Paul is wrote in ending his letter to Galatia has many things to say about many different subjects, some of which are very complicated. It is, in ex, uh, essence, a summary of what he's already been teaching in the book. And he's emphasizing it in yet different ways as he comes to this time in writing this letter. For he is addressing great questions in the lives of people of faith. He's addressing the stress and the stressful situation which the Galatian church has found itself in when he writes. And as you know, as I shared earlier in a sermon coming from this series of sermons from Galatia, Galatians that he didn't even use his normal opening to his letters, but rather spoke more directly to them because there were things that were wrong and things that needed to be addressed in this community of faith. Summarizing the relationship to law and grace, summarizing throughout this letter and reiterating what it meant in relation to the law of Moses to adopt the law of Christ in our hearts as we move forward. He spoke eloquently of about the gift of freedom that was ours, but he also paradoxically talked about the responsibility that such freedom brings. He talked about the importance and talks about the importance of being saved by grace and grace alone in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and yet also saying that even in so doing, we are held to certain standards that the Spirit encourages in each of us. He wrote to them so that they might know who they were and where they were standing in their relationship to God, that this battle between flesh and the spirit would be an ongoing battle and would continue off and on in their lives. I think at its depth, this passage of Scripture is winding up by talking about a greater truth even than what was meant for the book of Galatians. And that greater truth is pushing Christians toward and believers toward an understanding of the paradoxical nature of life, not only apart from Christ, but in Christ. A paradox simply means something that that seems to be opposite from something else, and yet it's true also at the same time. And oftentimes in our lives, paradoxes do not make logical sense, and that's why people struggle with Scripture. Because understanding Scripture takes one on a journey, It's a journey of faith formation, a journey journey of intellectual variety and stimulation that over the years affects us all. It's a journey where we understand some things in later years as we continue to study in different ways than what we understood in the first. Because the Bible and the stories within are not simply verses that are simple answers to all of life. That's not what the Bible is. The Bible is rather a story of God reaching out to his people over centuries of time, revealing what people needed to understand for their faith. It was a process, if you will, that took a long time and takes a long time for us today. 
It's like the paradox of trying to understand even who God is. Because God is both the God of grace and mercy and the God of judgment and holiness. And in most of our minds, the practical realities of trying to work out that one simple paradox take a lot of our lives. We all know what we think mercy and grace means versus judgment and holiness. Mercy and grace are for us and our children, and holiness is for others, (laughs) right? We know that's not what it is, but in our own minds, they're so opposite, it's so hard to put them together, and indeed, we struggle. That's why in this treatise on how to live together, when he addresses the issue of accountability, he tells people to go in humility to one another when someone has been overtaken in sin. Beware of your own danger to fall to the sins of the flesh. Basically, it's what Paul is reiterating. Only when we go to someone who has been caught up in sin with complete humility and gentleness, as Paul tells us to, will that person have a chance to hear what we're trying to say in love. Only when we are so filled with Christ that we are ready to share with a brother or sister how we think they have fallen by the wayside might they have the opportunity to hear it. No one hears a judgmental voice or a voice that's angry or a voice that's condemning with any kind of grace or ability to understand. And that's what Paul understood. And that was just one of the characteristics of life that he was talking about in this passage of Scripture, which is really a partial treatise about how we are to live in Christian community. It's not easy to live in community, is it? It's not that hard at our house really now. It's just Sally and I. And as long as I do what Sally tells me to do, community is great. It got a lot easier when the children both left the house, we thought. They have a tendency to come back, though. Have you noticed that? You know, they have a tendency to come back. And living in Christian community when everybody's together is not always easy. Rachel is in town today, and she's here, and she brought June Junebug, as we call her, uh, to share some time with us. Yeah, Junebug is, is not very old. She was only born late in April. And it's hard to live in Christian com- community with, with Junebug raising the roof ever so often, right? So we take turns carrying her. At least that is able, we're able to bear the burden with Rachel while, while she is going through what all children go through, moments when they can't tell you what they really want, so they just cry. And it's up to you to make them feel better, right? This idea of living in in Christian community is constantly challenged by life's paradoxes because Scripture nor life is simple. Sometimes I find myself being jealous of some people that I call, okay, I won't say that. Someday I find myself being a little jealous of people who have an answer for everything and life is so simple. And sometimes when I hear them say, Stating simple realities to be uh, taken and it makes everything right. I, I so want to help them understand how complex many of the things they think are so simple are. And sometimes I do. Because you see, life is not so simple. Nor is the interpretation of all of scripture in its proper context so easy. We tell our children that we pray for them for God to take care of them. And then sometimes things happen 
that make us wonder, was God taking care of them? Is that not paradoxical? Of course it is. We rarely talk to our young children about that because we're afraid they don't understand. I think really the true reason we don't talk about that more with our children is the same reason we don't talk about death with our children very much because we are uncomfortable more than they are. They can handle a lot more than we think. And we need to process a lot more than we think what life is really about and what it's really like when we live it ourselves. They need our honesty. They need to know that we grapple with what the scriptures teach. They know that we struggle when what we've prayed for and what we've believed in does not come out as we had hoped it would. Nobody thought that when the scout troop left on this adventure of canoeing that anything would happen other than that they would all return to us. In fact, they checked the radio for a storm that night and they said there was a 30% chance of a storm, probably not till 7 or 8 the next morning. Instead, at 3 in the morning, it struck that little place where they were with all its fury. No one could have imagined that. No one could have imagined that they would be left on their own for over four hours trying to take care of one another in the midst of a horrific circumstances. But they did. When Jeff Goodrich left to be one of those adult volunteers with his son for that group, he never thought he would face what he ended up facing. You see, it's not just the ones who were injured physically or the families who lost loved ones that are hurt, but it's the whole troop. It's the whole families that are interconnected in that community of scouting that are hurting today. It's their whole faith communities behind in their churches and the communities at large who are giving this message because we prefer to believe that we are always protected even in the midst of the evil world in which we live. That's the way we pray. I don't pray with my children or my grandchildren. God look after them even though I might know, know something terrible might happen today. I don't pray that way with my grandchildren, and you don't either. So what do we do when the intricacies of life and the complexities of life and the sinful nature of the world in which we live that affects even nature strikes us unexpectedly? It's simple, and that's what makes it so hard. We exercise our trust in the central tenor of Scripture that teaches us that God loves us and is always with us. Whatever else we may understand or however complex life may become or whatever paradoxes may occur in our lives, that tenet of Scripture is consistent. God's love for his children, God's presence with them always. The Scripture really never ensures us that everything will be all right every day in this earthly world. It never says that. But on this earth and in this life, we so value this life that we tend to hear it that way. Because God did take care of Nikki. He immediately took her hand and took her home with him. When we say she's in a better place, we mean that. A saying we know she's in a better place, however, does not remove our grief for ourselves or for the losses and the pain that it will cause her family. No, those are two separate issues that are connected. 
But if we could ask Nikki, and those of you who know Nikki well enough know this is true, if you would have asked Nikki what she would happen if what should happen if a tree hit the tent where they were all crouching? Well, the first thing Nikki would have said was that none of the youth will be injured. And if somebody is to be killed, let it be me. Right? Is there anybody here that knows Nikki that doesn't think that would have been her first request? Now, if you know Nikki, you also know that when Jesus took her by the hand, she probably pulled Jesus around face to face and said, <laughs> Just me was okay. Why? Why Christian too? Why, Lord? And she would have gotten her answer because Nikki always got her answer. <laughs> Nikki was not afraid of life or living. I was the pastor long in this congregation before I met Nikki over and over again. <laughs> she had a lot she needed to teach this young pastor, at least young in the ministry to this congregation. And those conversations always, always ended well. Did I always agree with her? Well, you know the answer to that, right? But we never felt apart from each other, even when we thought something needed to be done. I usually just couldn't move as fast as Nikki was planning on moving. She needed to know me when I was much younger. We know that in this loss and in the midst of these paradoxes, that we hold to the central witness of Scripture, not to the tangent, tangent of thoughts connected to it. We know that God was with her. We know that God holds together what would otherwise be unthinkable things. We call it tension in, in seminary and in classes, theological tensions that are just opposed to each other. They seem to be contrary and impossible. But in God, they are all possible. God is not only perfectly holy and perfectly judgmental, he's also perfectly loving and merciful. How does God accomplish that? I don't know because I'm not God. You know, I know I'm good, right? If you don't believe that, just agree with me anyway. But I also know that I'm not perfect. I'm not God. I don't always understand everything. When we got that news Thursday... Like everyone else, I had all those same questions. Why God? Why that tree? Why that spot? Why now? Why her? You're aware, Lord, she has four children, right? You're aware, Lord, that she works constantly to keep their lives going. You're aware, Lord, she does all the planning, right, Ricky? Yeah, I know. Guess what, Ricky? As I told him earlier another day, you might think that Nikki's voice is gone, but Nikki's ears are going to be ringing with instructions from Nikki. She is not dead. She is just gone from us. If I didn't believe that now, I would walk off this stage and leave my mic for someone else. When we leave this earth, we change bodies, but we do not die in the sense that we cease to be eternally existent or we cease to be involved in God's world. I do not believe that's what happens. And I do not believe it now, even though 
current circumstances press me down. Now, what does this mean for us today when we're talking about living in the community? I'm going to give you a few things I think it means directly because living in community not only means to correct one another humbly and with love, but it also means to bear one another's burdens. And that, of course, is the, is the phrase that leaked out at me because people are asking, how can we help bear these burdens? Ricky and the Sanchez family are asking, what do we do now? Where does our life go? How, how does this affect us? How will we organize ourselves? How will things get done? How will we hold the service? Who should be doing what? The questions that overwhelm us at moments of such loss are many. But the, probably the most important characteristic of living in community, other than faith in Jesus Christ and in grace for our salvation only, is this. That Christians, they're authentic Christians. They're called to live life humbly, devoting themselves to the benefits of others both in their sharing and in their receiving. People who want to be selfish and call themselves Christians are not authentically Christians in the sense that they are following the way of Christ, are they? Because Christ gave everything he had, as we sang in the song, for us that we might live. And living a, to use the words of the scripture, a self-sacrificial kind of life, or to live a life that is not self selfish but rather selfless is following the life of Christ to our best abilities now we know we struggle in what all that means I get that but sometimes it's very clear what it means and sometimes it's very obvious what it means I think it's very clear what it means to us this morning that when he calls us to bear one another's burdens in the way that Christ would bore our burdens We think of the love commandment. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. That's the summation of the Old Testament law. Most fully expressed when it's fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. Who loved everyone so much that he was willing to lay down his life for them. It's in his life of self-sacrificial love that we understand what it means to bear one another's burdens. And so we must and we will ask ourselves a question are we willing to love in that way these families are we willing to give of ourselves to the lack family in whatever ways that we can so that in some small way we may help them bear the burden of going on because Nikki certainly intends for them to go on Nikki certainly intends for them to live life fully even as she did and so must we And so we must think about what it means to have a great unity that we have within this congregation, even though we are very diverse. We must think of not how everyone needs to respond, but how I need to respond. Because each of us needs to respond in a different way according to our own gifts, graces, and abilities. I can't do what you can do. You can't do what I can do. But when we all do what we can do, giving of ourselves, then that family is strengthened for the days to come. That troop is strengthened as it continues to meet in this church. We've been blessed to have this scouting ministry for so many years. They so teach and so guide a group of dedicated men, these uh, youth who are coming, becoming young men in their presence, 
in important ways that were all exemplified in this tragedy. We must continue to support them in all that they say and they do. And you say, well, what does that look like? It looks like this. When one rejoices, everyone rejoices. When one weeps, everyone weeps. Lives are shared. That's what it looks like. We accept being responsible for ourselves and for each other in mutual accountability. It accepts that we live together as a Christian community with great freedom and yet a sense of being responsible to one another. Remember when we baptized those lack children and we promised to support them and to help see that they were raised in Christ? Do you think that's important now? Absolutely it is. You think it will be easier fit necessarily in our schedule? Absolutely it may not at times. Do you think I care about your schedule? Do you think Nikki cares about your schedule? <laughs> Do you think Nikki's not capable of shouting in your ear? She is. We will do and we must do for her or for anyone else in our congregation, any family that is struggling, all that we can and all they will allow us to do to help them face difficult futures. And so we will. We will bear with her burdens. I know that you will do this because I have heard stories of how you've done it for years and years as a congregation. I know you will do it because in the three years I've been here, I've seen you do it for one another in important ways. But I know this is going to be a new way that's going to require even more from us. And I know how you will respond. When I call you, I know you're going to say yes. Because if you don't, you know I'm going to complain to Nikki. I'm going to complain to God. But I'm not worried about having to complain because I know of your love for them. The youth group is going to suffer. Those young men who are on that trip are going to have months ahead of them that they will struggle with some of the things that went on and why they went on and what happened. We must support them in every way we can. Yes, we will provide people for them to talk to, pastors for them to talk to, professional counseling for them to talk to. We will give them everything that they need that they will allow us to give them so that they can deal with what's going on in their heads. Because you know what's going on in their heads is a war that's raging in their minds. So I'm calling upon you to do these things. I've already called upon you to give an offering so we might continue to support them in the months and years to come. You need to pray about that and what that means for you. I'm praying that you will provide for them daily living support. I know you've already been taking food to their houses and sharing it with them and their family, extended family, and that's great, and that's good. But they're going to need support as time goes on too because Nikki was everywhere all at the same time, running the wheels off that car, taking care of those four children. We must step in and help Ricky do that. We need to provide for them everything they need, not only for emotional support but spiritual support as well. We need to assure them they can count on us. Our love needs to be tangible. It needs to be felt. Does it need to be pushy? It needs to be available. It needs to be there for them in every way they need us. I know God was with all of those during that tragic time, and now God is calling upon us to be with those that are here. We are thankful 
that more were not injured more tragically, that more did not lose their lives, but that in no way diminishes the loss that we feel for the loss of the young youth, for the loss of one of our adult leaders and members of this congregation, or for the struggle and the pain that was experienced by those scouts who struggled through those hours alone in the midst of a terrible storm. We need to help horizons to clear and storm clouds to blow away. We need to be there to listen. We need to be there to support. We need to be the church. We need to be the church that's a community of faith, that's sold out for the care of one another. And I believe God will give us the strength to do that. Let us pray. Gracious God, again, we give you thanks and praise. And as we sing our closing song this morning, Lord, rather than calling upon any who might wish to join this congregation as we usually do or to come to Christ for the first time, instead, Lord, am I going to ask people in their hearts to seek what they need from you as an answer to the questions and the hurt they experienced this morning. I know, Lord, many of these people lived life with Nikki and shared so many precious moments with her, and their hearts are broken for her and for her family. I know that they need the balm that only you can provide that will soothe their wounds and ease their pain. I pray, O oh God, that as we sing this closing song together, that the spirit of unity will be strong within us and the willingness to move forward will take first place in our lives. Thank you, God for your presence with us today and on all days while we walk this earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.